All right, hey, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? I think, it, I think so. Well, good morning. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I uh, hope you got your beef jerky sticks. If not, there's more. I see them back there. Well, never mind. Dan just grabbed all of them. They're all gone. He got the last 99. Uh, instead of leaving the one, he left. He got the 99. And so, um, anyways, happy Father's Day to you guys. So good to see you. Um, we're we're going to carry on with our, our series that we started last week. It's called Trinity as we're looking at uh, the Godhead. We believe there is one God eternally existent in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And uh, so let me invite you to open up. We're going to be uh, in two main places today. It's not going to be hard to turn to these two. It's 2 Corinthians 13 and then 1 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 13 and then 1 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14, and these verses should be on the screen for us to follow along as well. This is the, Paul is closing out his second letter to the believers, to the church at Corinth, and, uh, and, and he writes this final statement. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Last week we laid the groundwork for this series uh, introducing the uh, understanding of this uh, theological belief of God being three in one. And we laid the groundwork out for that last week. And if you missed that or if you just want to go back and hear it again because it's such an amazing message, uh, then you can go to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. It's right on the homepage. And, uh, but last week was Pentecost Sunday. And we celebrated that, and we went into that, talked about what, what that was about, and then we covered the third person of the Godhead, God, God the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with a message that was titled, Sharpen Your Axe. And so um, today, it's Father's Day, we're actually doing these out of order according to the uh, personhood of the Godhead, but today's Father's Day, as you know, so we're going to be covering God the... Man, you guys are so good. I'm done. I'm done. I just, I'm just going to wrap it up. I'm going to leave. You guys are right on top of it. Uh, yeah, God the Father. And um, so let's, let's pray. Paul, as I mentioned, putting into play and, and as an emphasis there, closing out his letter to the believers at Corinth. May the grace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, reminding us that we need all of God, and He wants all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for moments that remind us of who You are. Thank You for occasions that help us to reflect on Your goodness. So Lord, as we open Your Word, we pray You would speak to us. It's Your desire to speak to fellowship, to commune with your people, with your children. So, Lord, we give you our time and our attention and our hearts. Just as we want to know all of you, we sing that song, A Holy Desire, A Holy Desire. We want to know all of you, Lord, but you also want all of us. So we want that to happen. We don't want to just be fickle and give you parts of our life. We want to give you all of our life to follow you, to serve you, to be who you called us to be on this earth. And one day, to join 
you there in heaven. So, Lord, we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Everybody can say amen and amen. All right, so God the Father. And I've titled today's message, The Roar of the Father. The Roar of the Father. And to set this up, I picked out a really cool 50-second movie clip. So, pardon my cartoonish pick, but it's from a famous movie called The Lion King. From The Lion King. Anybody ever heard of The Lion King? So I'm going to set this up where you've got the younger cub and then you've got his father and you'll see what happens. Let's take a look at this. father the roar of the father listen to this there's something there's three things i want you to know about god the father he is more powerful than anyone he is more powerful than anyone jesus said this in john's gospel that he's so powerful that no one can snatch you out of his hands think about that not anyone can snatch you out of god the father's hands he loves us more than anyone loves us more than anyone John's, uh, the Apostle John in 1 John said that he calls us his children, that we are the children of God the Father. And the third truth is, he is the truth far above everyone. As Jesus prepared his disciples, and we talked a little bit about this last week, that the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes from the Father. The Father is truth far above anyone, far above everyone. So he's more powerful than anyone. He loves us more than everyone, more than anyone. And he is truth. He is truth. And because of that, here's the thing. Our response to God the Father can be this. We can listen to him for absolute authority. We can look to him for absolute affirmation. And we can learn from him for absolute authenticity. Think about that. Because who he is is so pure, there's no error, there's no fault in him whatsoever. More powerful, more loving, more truthful, that we can listen, we can look, and we can learn from him because of who he is. Now, Father's Day messages sometimes can go either way. Sometimes they can go to get all the dads to try to be something. But really, my goal here today is for us to see who God is. It's for us to see who he is as father. And I think more than anything, if we get the right glimpse and the right look and the right openness and and perception of who God is, then no matter who we are, we'll be who God wants us to be. Because we can listen to him, we can look to him, and we can learn from him. And so I want to talk about the three roars of the Father. And we're going to look 
at 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to take an earthly example, the Apostle Paul, and as he writes to his church, to this fellowship in Corinth. And the thing about, the little bit of background about this letter and about this part of the story is, is Paul founded this church. He spent two years laboring in this church to build and to establish the foundation of this church. He poured his heart and his soul into this church. He labored and put everything he had into it. And, and so he's writing from a distance back to them and reminding them of a lot of different things. But he's writing to them in the manner of a father and the spirit of a father. And so we're going to look at this. And he had such great personal investment in this church that he, you got 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I mean, that's pretty long, two letters, two lengthy letters that Paul wrote. Now, keep in mind, we're going to talk about the three roars of a father out of this particular story. And keep in mind, Peter writes in 1st Peter 5, 8 that the enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God is the lion seeking whom he may deliver. All right? There's a difference. The enemy is waiting to pounce, to devour us. God is looking to deliver us. God is looking to build us. The enemy wants to destroy us. All right? So anytime you feel rotten about life, remember that does not come from God. God, the Holy Spirit, does bring conviction, but the enemy brings condemnation. And so condemnation keeps you down. Conviction will actually lift you up because conviction comes from humility. And we know humility in that same chapter of 1 Peter 5 says, God gives grace to those who are humble, but he opposes those who are proud. Three roars of the Father. Let's look at this verse 14 and 15. Now, what you're going to see on the screen are from the translation of the Passion. As Lindsay has already kicked us off out of Psalm 51 with that prayer and that reminder. Verse 14 and 15 of 1 Corinthians 4. Look at this. It says, Paul says, I'm not writing this to embarrass you or to shame you, but to correct you as the children that I love. It says, for although you could have countless babysitters in Christ... Telling you what you're doing wrong, you don't have many fathers who correct you in love. But I'm a true father to you, for I became your father when I gave you the gospel and brought you into union with Jesus, the anointed one. The first roar of God the Father is the roar of love through correction. The roar of love through correction. Now here's the thing, what we have to remember is don't mistake correction for rejection in God. Correction from God is not rejection, all right? You've got to see it as love in action. Don't mistake correction as a judgment call. See it for what it is. It's a love call. It's a love call. You see, here's the thing. Judgment will happen when we're dead. 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be, ba we'll be judged based on the lives we live, good or bad. So that judgment will happen when we're dead. Correction happens while we're alive. All right? So don't get the two mixed up. Understand, judgment will happen for everyone, but correction happens to God's children. 
those he loves. He loves us all, but those who have accepted him and who understand that and walk in that and want that for their life, correction happens. Here's what that means. If correction is happening from God the Father to us, then here's what's happening. That means we still got a life to live. That means we still have a destiny to chase. We still have a purpose to get after. We still have something in front of us that God wants us to accomplish. We still have responsibilities for the kingdom on this earth. If God is still correcting us, then that's good news. So we have to understand that when we're corrected by God the Father, it's because He loves us. Look at this in Hebrews 12. It elaborates a little bit more. The writer says, Have you forgotten His encouraging words spoken to you as His children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. So fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For he, who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? And then jump down to verse 11. It says, Now all discipline from the Lord, it seems more pain to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Absolutely it does. Yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and a peace to those who yield to it. Check out that ultimate outcome of God's correction in his children's life. Obviously, any correction at any given time is never a pleasure, right? It's never a pleasure. But what it, ha- what it does, what it produces, what the ultimate outcome of that correction is, it, it produces a transformation of character. In other words, when God corrects us, he does it in love, and when he does it, it, be- it he changes the outcome of who we are to be more like Christ. Then it also, go back, can you show that, show that again? Verse 11, yeah. It says, it also brings a harvest of righteousness in our life. A harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. Not a little sprout. Not some little sprig. Not just a little bitty blossom. But a harvest of righteousness. You see, that is what God wants for his children, is for us to have a harvest of righteousness in our life. Because a harvest of right standing with God is better than not being in right standing with God. And then it says it brings a peace to those who yield to it. So as we yield to the correction of God, the loving, affection, correction of God in our life, what happens? Peace. A clear conscience. A clear conscience. Now listen, it's not so much about trying to be perfect as it is about letting God perfect us. Because you and I, we can't live perfect. If you try to live perfect, what happens? You're going to fall. You're going to come short. And then what usually happens? We beat ourselves up. Then, then worse, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, beats us up. Whispers Tells us we stink. Tells us we're awful. Tells us you're a mess. Tells us whatever. We're pathetic. Why bother? Why try? Why give yourself to the Lord? All you're going to do is fall down. All you're going to do is come up short. All you're going to do is continuously be in that cycle of a struggle. And God's like, no, if you let me deal with you, I deal with you in love, and I deal with you to build you up. The ultimate outcome of God's roar of love, of correction in our life, is to build us up. 
That should always be the goal of any correction in our life. Amen? It's just to build each other up. And that is what God does in his roar of love. Let's look at the second roar. You guys with me? Okay. Verse uh, 16 in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, I encourage you, my children, to follow the example that I live before you. That's why I've sent my dear son Timothy, whom I love. He is faithful to the Lord Yahweh and will remind you of how I conduct myself as one who lives in union with Jesus, the anointed one, and of the teachings that I bring to every church everywhere. He's faithful to the Lord, remind you of how I live my life as one who walks in union with Jesus, and he will also remind you of all the teachings that I bring to all the different churches everywhere I go. So Paul, the second roar of the Father is this, is the roar of encouragement to follow his example. There is a roar that comes from God the Father in our life that wants to encourage us to be faithful in following his example. Paul's example, he used Timothy. Timothy's going to remind you of my ways. He, he, he's he's going to show you how I have lived my life. So if you see Timothy, you've seen me, you heard Timothy preach, you've heard me preach, you heard him do what he does, then you've heard me. You've seen him, you've seen me. That's, in essence, what Paul's getting at. He is a fine example of me. In fact, Paul later wrote to them and tell them in, in chapter 11, he said, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Pretty bold. <laughs> I'd like to be able to say that for me, but I'm scared. I'd like to. I'd like to. And I want that to happen. I want my children to say that they see me, they see me, they see the love of God. They see the love of the Father. They see the ways of the kingdom in my life. Do they always? No. Church, I'm sorry. I want to let you, just want to let you know I, I make mistakes. I know you didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe the only one in here, but I make mistakes. Paul had Timothy as the example. God says, look to my son Jesus as an example. Look at this in Colossians 1 verse 15. By the way, we're going to be doing a a whole series in July on the book of Colossians. Four chapters in Colossians. We're going to be doing a whole series on that for the whole month of July. It's going to be really, really good. Paul writes, he said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. What does God look like? Well, you have to look at Jesus. What does Jesus look like? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it goes into great detail about the life of Jesus Christ. He has 33 and a half years on earth, and you begin to see and get an inside view and revelation of who this Jesus person is. And the question may come up, well, how in the world God roars at me with this encouragement Keep being faithful, keep following my example, but I keep saying, how do I live up to this example? How do I live up to the example of Jesus, right? seems overwhelming, it seems daunting to like, how, how can I possibly live up 
to this example. One, we have the Holy Spirit that helps us do that. But secondly, I guess more practically you could say, it's not about as much living up to God as letting God live up in you. Religion says live up to God's standards. Relationship with God says just let God live up inside of you. Big difference. The first is our performance. The first is what we can produce. The first is based on our humanity. The second is based on his divinity in a person's life. And there's a big difference. If you ever want to love like Jesus, then let Jesus live up inside of you. If you ever want to be consumed with good, then let Jesus, the good one, consume you. Amen? If you ever want to be right in this life, then let the right one live up on the inside of you. That's how it works with our God. And, he's, and, and the second rule Paul's getting at is, hey, I've, I'm sending you this example. I can't make it right now, but I'm sending you this example And it's the example, I want you to follow what Timothy says. And God says, I want you to follow the example you find in Jesus Christ. So we have the roar of the Father, the roar of love and correction, the roar of encouragement to follow his example. And let's look at the third one. Verse 18. He says, there... Are some among you who have exalted themselves as if I were not coming back to you? But I will come soon, if it pleases the Lord, and I will find out not only what these arrogant ones are saying, but also if they have the power to back up their words. For the kingdom realm of God comes with power, not simply impressive words. So which would you prefer? Shall I come carrying the rod of authority to discipline or with an embrace in love with a gentle spirit? The third roar of God the Father that we see in this story is the roar of his powerful presence. The roar of his powerful presence. There is nothing like the presence of God in our life. It's nothing like the presence of God in our life. See, the the clip we opened up with, you had the young cub who was being threatened by the enemy. And he gave it his all. I mean, he he really tried to muster up a scary roar. It was, was, he was still young, was still immature. He just didn't have the depth. He didn't have the confidence to stand there and give it what, he, what his father could do, and then his father comes, his father comes and roars on his behalf, and what happens? Frightens the enemy, paralyzes the enemy, scares the enemy, and they run off. And he says, if you ever come near my son again, think about that. That's what God the Father says about his children. And he tells the enemy, if you ever Try to come after my child again. He did that through his son, Jesus Christ. And he showed the enemy once and for all. That once the Lamb of God shed his blood, and the blood of Christ is in a person's life, the enemy has no right 
to interfere. It's called trespassing. And the enemy cannot trespass and walk through the bloodline of Christ and think that he can get away with it in a believer's life. There is absolutely no way that our God the Father would let the enemy completely, completely win. He will turn the tide. He will turn the tide. He will turn the tide. Now we will walk through difficult things. We will have to go through life that have no explanations to them. But our God the Father roars. And he tells the enemy no more. No more. You know, there's nothing like the reassuring roar of God the Father in our life. That he has our back. The roar of our God has our back. Just like that lion, that father lion, had the, had the back of his son. Our God the Father has the back of, for us. He has our back. Paul, writing to them, he's like, would you, would you go back to like verse 19 or so? See what that, what that was. Yeah, he says, if, I will come soon if it pleases the Lord. I just can't help but kind of read in the lines here. Paul is like, I, I hope God lets me come back. Oh, I, I'm hoping the Lord will, as he's writing it, I sure hope he lets me come back to you. He goes, if the Lord will let me come back, I'm going to find out who these arrogant ones are. Can you just picture that in your mind? Oh, I sh- he's writing it. I just, I just really hope that he lets me come back. I'm going I'm to take my shoe off and throw it at him. I'm not going to let these arrogant ones turn you away from the truth that is the God. I labored too hard, too long to build truth into your life for some people to come from the outside thinking they can get away and turn you away from God. Oh, if, if it pleases the Lord, if he would just let me come back. Oh, I'll have something to say. I'll have something to say. In other words, he was letting that church know, I have your back. I got you. Isn't there no, there's no greater feeling than to know that somebody's got your back. When you're facing a problem, when you're facing some insurmountable mountains, when you got some incredible head, uh, headwind facing you, and you got somebody willing to stand with you, willing to walk with you, willing to go through it with you, helping you to face whatever is out there in front of you. There is no greater feeling to know that somebody's got my back. And God doesn't just send us out into this world to face it alone. But if our eyes could really be open to the depth of the Spirit, and we could really see there are angels all around us, And there's a host of heaven all around us. And if we could just see that God is really on our side, that we're not alone, that we're not by ourselves, that we're not the only ones that have to go through what we go through or deal with what we deal with. But there is a God who's not just in heaven, but there is a God on a throne that rules with might, that rules with love, that rules with truth, that rules with justice. And all he has to do is nod, and things flip, things switch, things go in reverse. Why? Because God the Father is with us. He is for us, and he has our back. Paul reassuring that church, 
Hey, I recognize what you're facing. I recognize what you're dealing with. But I want you to know, those are some arrogant fools that are talking to you. I mean, the language that Paul used, the audacity to call somebody arrogant. So you got plenty of babysitters telling you what you've done wrong. But you don't have that many fathers willing to walk with you and labor with you and be faithful with you, be patient with you, and to show you through the errors of your ways and not turn you away, but to walk hand in hand and show you the truth. You got all kinds of people, babysitters, the babysitter club, telling you all your mistakes. But it takes a real father to show up in tough times and to show you the real way to go. And he's like, that's me, I am here. I may not physically be there, but I am with you. I mean, and he writes that letter. And he's like, man, if I, I'm just going to find out, are they, are they man enough? Do they, are they just all talk? going to find out. Are they just all about words? You ever met anybody like that? They're just full of words. They're good talkers. I mean, they can take the truth. I mean, they can take a lie and spin it and make it sound good. I don't know about you, but I just don't like being around people like that. And Paul's like, that's what's happening. They're taking lie, and they're spinning it to make it sound truthful. That is what the devil does, folks, every single time in our life. And Paul's like, you know, if I could just come back, going to find out what kind of people they are. Do they really have the power to back up what they're saying? Anybody ever been around people like that? I mean, they got a lot of bark, but their bite is awful. It's pathetic. <laughs> All bark and no bite, right? You ever been around like little bitty dogs? I mean, they can bark like they were going to tear you from limb to limb, but they could barely break the skin if they bit you. Yeah, Folks, that is the devil. That is the devil. And I don't know about you, but I, I get sick and tired when I see God's people let the devil win in their life. Because he is already a defeated foe. He has already been knocked out. He has no power in our life except that which we give him. Don't listen to his lies. Don't buy into his deception. Because he really is all bark and no bite. And here's how he gets us. Here's how he gets us. Every single time. This has never changed. You see it in the animal kingdom. And you see it in the human kingdom. The enemy gets us when we pull ourselves away. When we think, I can handle this. I can do this by myself. I can make this happen. I can fix this, I can correct this, and we start to buy into this thing that, hey, I can really do this thing. Now keep in mind, sounds kind of truthful, but here's the reality of it. We can't do it without Jesus, and we can't do it without the body of Jesus. That's why the church is not just about a gathering thing, but it's also about a community thing. We're together in this thing. We're together in this thing. 
And Paul writing to the church, reminding them they belong to the same family. They are one in the eyes of God. He's like, if I could just get back, I'd find out what kind they are. And there is nothing like the reassuring roar of God the Father having our back. Check this out, what Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 43. He says, but now, Jacob, listen to the word who crea- the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, this is about God, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. And then look at the beginning of verse 5. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. Now I wish God had set it up to where we would never have to go through difficult things. Right? Come on, who wouldn't want that? But what he does set it up as when we do go through things, he's with us. I think I would, I believe I'd rather go through things with him than not because I don't know how people go through life without the reassuring roar of God's presence for them there's just no way think about what you've gone through think about life in your world absolutely no way See, here's the thing. With God, it's not just about what he says or about what he does. It's important. But it's also about who he is. Who he is. He is more powerful than anyone, more loving than anyone, and more truthful than everyone. He is called the I Am. I Am. I'll close with, with, uh, with this story that I read. Lori, if you don't mind, you can come up. You don't have to have the whole team today. Thank you. I read this story is about a father who has a son who is now in his 30s, but it was telling the story that when his son was about three, that his son would run up to him anytime he was scared or afraid or just needed to be reassured of some things he would run up to his father and throw his arms up and say hold your daddy hold your hold your daddy hold your the three year old version of hold you daddy hold you and his dad was telling the story now his son's in his 30s his son called him one day devastated. He came home from work. His wife had left him for someone else. And his son asked his father, can I come over? 
the father said, absolutely. The son drove five hours to his dad's house. Walked through the front door, collapsed in his father's arms, crying, sobbing, devastated. And the father was reminiscing and saying, I could almost hear my 30-something-year-old son say, hold you, daddy, hold you. Folks, I don't care how old we get. There's nothing like the reassuring presence of our Father in our life. I dare say many, if not most, or all, have been hurt by other people. And a lot of us have been hurt by family. A lot of us have been hurt by parents. So here's the thing. We cannot compare earthly people to our God. The mistake too many people make with God is, as Father is they try to compare Him to the natural, whether that's a good or a bad. But if it's bad, they don't want anything to do with Him. And if it's good, sometimes they have an unhealthy expectation. None of us should compare God with humanity because he is not a person in the flesh God is spirit and it says of him he cannot lie he cannot lie what do we need from God our father oh there are a whole lot more attributes and a whole lot more adjectives and descriptions that we can give about God the Father. Absolutely. I, I covered three main ones. His love, His encouragement, and His constant, stable presence in our life. Sometimes we do need that correction, though. Come on, let's face it. Sometimes we, de- we just need that encouragement to keep being faithful. We need that roar of God saying, come on, Keep going, my child. Keep going. Keep at it. Keep looking ahead. Keep looking up. One more step. One more step. One more prayer. One more offering. One more sacrifice. One more. That's what God does in encouragement, to keep us going. And then it's still at times, God, I just need to know that you're with me. I don't have a lot of words. I don't even know what my petitions might be today. I just need to know that I'm not by myself. I just need to know that I'm surrounded by you. I need to know that you're just with me, God. So, what do you need from God the Father? You know the thing about His roar? It's unmistakable and it's undeniable. You're never going to get a greater, louder roar than from God the Father for your life. So then why do so many of us in this world look for that roar from people? We want people to roar for us. Oh, we're good at roaring at each other. We don't need no help with that. We're good at roaring at each other. But we want somebody to roar for us. Would you settle for the roar of God over the roar of man? Our heart would cry out deep within Yes, yes, because his roar 
is unmistakable. It's undeniable. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray.